Well, it all started out as a dream, a once-in-a-lifetime trip, a trip that you had planned for for your entire life. A woman who was a nurse, 66 years old, was making the hiking trip of a lifetime. She was going to be uh, in the Appalachian Mountains and hiking and enjoying that time, and she had meticulously planned out this trip. Now, soon in the trip, things didn't go so well. She wasn't known for having the best sense of direction. And so, early one morning on July 22nd at 6.30 in the morning, her friends saw her. They were getting ready to leave camp, and they were heading to a new area. And they had a rendezvous with someone with a car that was going to help them in just a second. And so they just decided, hey, today we're going to meet at this point. Everyone knew where the point was. Everyone knew where they needed to end up, and so they headed out. Now, this lady on her way... She had to use the restroom, and it's common practice, like when you're on the trail, you just move about 80 paces off the trail to use the restroom and and do what you need to do. And when she did that, she lost vision of where she was. She lost sight of the trail and the path, and all of a sudden, all the brush and the things that were there made everything look different. She never made her way back to the trail. For days, she began to wander around trying to find her way back to the path, but she soon, because she didn't have vision of where she was, began to lose hope. Her body was recovered 26 days after she disappeared. They continued to look for her. They continued to try to find her, and eventually they they did. What was incredible in this whole story was she had a cell phone with her, and she was trying to text people saying, hey, I'm, I'm in trouble, you know, please come help. But she was in a place where there was no cell service. And as the rescuers and searchers began to look for her, when they found her tent, she was in her tent, asleep, like she died in her sleep. They found a journal in a watertight bag that she began to journal her last days. And what she put in the journal on the cover it was, Can you please let my husband and kids know that I've passed away? It would be the greatest kindness that you could give them. But as she was writing in this journal over the next couple days, she said, I've lost my way. I have not found my way back to the trail. I now know what my end is. And she talked about the fact that because she had lost sight of where she was to be, she had lost all hope. The kind of sad part of this whole thing was if she would have just walked a half mile down the mountain that she was staying on, she would have found railroad tracks and they would have led her back to camp, to a camp where she would have been rescued. And in fact, there were people with dogs looking for her and they got within a hundred yards of her location. But because she had lost vision, she, she didn't quite see where she was going anymore. She couldn't find her way back to the path because of this circumstance and things around her in that moment. She really lost hope. And I think for a lot of us in this room, we've lost hope because we've lost vision in our life. And for us, the holidays and these moments that we have together are so hard because we don't see where we're supposed to go anymore because the obstacles of life have gotten in the way. And for a lot of us, because we've lost our sight, we've lost our vision, we're losing hope. 
We, we, we're losing in this moment how we can hold on to what God has really called us to and where he's called us to be. Maybe you can identify with this woman's tragic story, but maybe there's another tragedy going on in your own life where you are losing hope of what the future can be. Because you've lost sight of the vision that God has called you to in this life. And I don't know what your vision might be, but what, what does your family look like? Maybe like in these holiday hurts in this, these seasons, you've lost vision of the, the type of family and how you want it to be in your family. And so because you've lost vision, because of all these obstacles that you face in your family relationships, that you are now losing hope that things will ever get better. Or what about your finances? Maybe you're in your finances now and, and you're in this moment where you are looking at the books and the bills and the debt and the credit card bills and you've lost vision of that financial freedom and those things and so you're losing hope and you've kind of resigned yourself to there's no hope. Or your health. What about your health? Like maybe things have gotten so out of control or things aren't working well or just you can't find the motivation anymore because every day the scale goes up a little bit or every day you feel a little bit worse and so you've lost hope that you'll ever be okay. And for a lot of us in the world right now, we've lost, lost vision for our faith. We've lost this idea of the kind of life and the kind of faith that God is calling us to. And so we're losing hope in God, and we're losing hope in the church. We're losing hope in all of these moments. And, and so as I was preparing for this week, I really want us to see and learn how to hold on to hope. Because there's this story in the Bible about this guy named Joseph. And this isn't Joseph, Jesus' dad. This is Joseph of the Old Testament. And if you know anything about the life of Joseph, things didn't go great all the time. In fact, a lot of us really begin to believe like, hey, if I'm called by God and loved by God, my life's going to be easy. Like there's not going to be really, it's all just uphill from here. There are, are no more valleys, but that couldn't be further from the truth. But as I was reading about the life of Joseph and what went on in his life, in the valleys and the mountaintops that he had, one thing that never happens in the life of Joseph is that he never loses hope. He holds on to hope Throughout all of it, throughout all of the circumstances of his life. Let me replay his life a little bit for you. When Joseph was 17 years old, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was loved by his father, Jacob, more than anybody else. So I guess Jacob did have a favorite kid. And what happened is, is they grew jealous of Joseph. And so they sold him into slavery into Egypt, they, they, there was this caravan, and that was one step nicer because basically they were planning on killing him and throwing him in a ditch. And so when they sold him into slavery, they sold his coat and they gave it to his father, Jacob, and said, he's gone, he's dead. Then, not only that, when, when Joseph gets to his master's house, Potiphar's house, he rises in prominence. In fact, while he's there, he actually becomes head of the household. He begins to run all of the affairs. And it says that Potiphar didn't even concern himself with anything except what he was going to eat. But Potiphar had a wife. And she was a stage five clinger, okay? She, like, could not get over Joseph. And she kept wanting to sleep with him. 
And Joseph would say, no, like I'm not doing that. It's not who I am. And one day Joseph finds himself in the house alone with Potiphar's wife and she grabs him by the cloak. Well, he just like gets out of the cloak and runs. He leaves. And she's so offended when that happened that she then decides to go tell Potiphar, your servant tried to sleep with me. I have his cloak. Look what happened. And when that happened, when that moment happened, Potiphar decides to throw Joseph into jail. And Joseph goes to prison. And it's not like a nice, you know, kind of nice, really fancy prison. He's in a dungeon. So Joseph does the right thing and ends up in the wrong place. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to hear like, you got to do the right thing because it's always right to do the right thing. And it's not about the destination. It's about who you're believing in, what you're believing for. And so Joseph does the right thing. And yet the world punishes Joseph for doing the right thing. But God has greater plans. So then while Joseph is in jail, he then rises to prominence in the jail. And he actually begins to run the entire prison. The Bible says that the warden doesn't worry about anything that's under Joseph's control because he does such a good job. Then there's these two guys that show up in jail, a baker and a butler. And Joseph has a vision and, and a dream. And these guys have these visions and dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams for them. And he says to the baker, yo, your dream's good. Pharaoh's gonna take you out of prison in three days. You're gonna be restored to your prominence. Don't worry about it. Life's gonna be okay. Butler, he goes, your dream is not so good. Um, You're going to die. Yeah, he's going to actually put you on a stake in three days, by the way. And so Joseph says to the the baker, listen, um, when you get back to Pharaoh, remember me. Remember what I did here. Tell Pharaoh about it because I'm wrongfully imprisoned right now. Well, the baker has short-term memory loss, and he forgets to tell Pharaoh about it until two years later. Two years later, Pharaoh has a vision, a dream. And he begins to tell people about it. And the beggar goes, hey, I met this guy in jail, Joseph. And you need to meet him. He can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh, uh, the Bible says that he was actually, he comes out of jail. He is bathed and shaved. And then he goes before Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh about the dream. And Pharaoh is so impressed that he then makes Joseph second in command of all of Egypt. Now, those are some up and downs, aren't they? Those are some moments like, oh, God, you're going to make me, and we're going to see in just a second that God gives Joseph a vision that, that his brothers and everyone's going to bow down to him. But man, how many of us don't expect the moment where you're going to lead and the moment where you start that there's going to be some valleys in between, but somehow Joseph didn't lose his vision. Joseph didn't lose his hope because hope does some things in you and I. There's really four things that it does that will help us hold on. And so today I want us to take a look at this life of Joseph. We're going to jump around a little bit and see how Joseph was able to hold on to hope and keep his vision even in the midst of the worst circumstances you could find yourself in. Sold into slavery, nearly killed, goes to jail, suffers in prison. And more happens in his story. And so we're going to look at his life. But let me just ask you, church, this morning, where are you losing hope? 
because you've lost sight of what God's called you to in this life. And we didn't expect the valleys in this moment. We just thought like, man, from the vision to the consummation, man, it's all going to be uphill, right? No. Because let me just tell you something, church. There are things that God can speak to you into the valley that he can't speak anywhere else. And some of us, when we really hold on to hope, will thank God for the valley. There can be a moment in your life, even this morning, that as you think about what God is doing, maybe you're losing hope, you can thank God you're in the valley. You can thank God that you're in this moment. The, the problem is not that you and I will live this life and never go through anything. The promise is this, that you will have a peace which surpasses understanding when you believe and trust in the Lord. So the promise is not bad times aren't going to happen because here's the deal. Jesus had to die. Bad things are going to happen. That was bad. I mean, it's good, but it's bad. And so you and I have to believe the same See, because here's the deal. When we lose our vision, hope is lost. Hope is lost. And maybe for a lot of us in this room, the only thing that you can see in front of you right now is the problem. And you can't look past the problem to see the promise. You can't, you, you, it's too much in your face. And we say this all the time. The enemy screams, but God whispers. Why? It's a distraction. It's to put your gaze on the problem and not the promise. And so what happens is, is when we lose our vision of the future, just like that lady lost the vision of the path, eventually hope is lost and we resign ourselves to that this is never going to happen. Look at what happens in the Bible. Look at what happens in this story. And I'll tell you, the reason I believe that, Jesus, or that Joseph is so hopeful is because he had vision. Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 to 10, it says this. Joseph had a dream. This is a common theme in Joseph's life. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Can I just say something to all of you? Be careful who you share good news with. Be careful who you share good news with because the people that you share good news with are going to interpret how it affects them. And a lot of people will become jealous, angry, resentful, bitter because of the call that God has put on your life and the anointing that God has put on your life and the vision that God has given you for your life. And they don't see it from God's side. They see it from their own and they will become haters. I mean, you guys know this. Like some of you, you have friends and family members. You can't tell that you got a new car. Right? Like, you're like, man, I got this great car. It's a brand new car. I love this car. And for a year, you're like, I'm not going near them. And then a year later, you drive up. They're like, oh, did you get a new car? And you're like, that old thing? I've had that for a year. Right? And then you just move on. Because how many of us know you can't share good news with everybody? You know why you can't share good news with everybody? Because they've lost vision of their own promise. So they're jealous of yours. The other thing is, you can't be beholden to how other people see what God is doing in your life. It's between you and God. And so what happens in this story is Joseph gets excited. He says, man, I have this vision. Let me tell you about it. He said to them, listen, this dream, I, listen to it. We were, built, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep, it rose up. Like miraculously, the one that I was working on rose up and stood upright. While yours, they fell down, okay? They fell, fell down and, and they bowed down around mine. 
They, they fell down around mine and they bowed down to it. That's not good news for them, is it? Why? They're not interpreting the vision through what God is going to do. They're interpreting the vision through how it's going to affect them. Because what they think is, is Joseph's vision is about him ruling them. And what God says the vision is, is about him saving them. And so they misinterpret what God is doing. And it says this, so his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream, uh, because of the dream that he had. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and even the stars were bowing down to me. Everything was bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground to you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Listen, Joseph is going to go through some really hard things in just a few moments. In just a few verses, Joseph's life, he gets this grand vision and then all of a sudden resistance comes in. And how many of us know that when you get a call from God, when you get a vision in your life for what God has called you to be, you can expect resistance. Because just as much as you have a God who is intended on you walking in his purposes, you have an enemy who's intended that you don't. We call it this. When you get like real, like this is where I'm going. This is where I'm heading. This is what God has called me to be. You can, it's called, we call it predictable resistance. Like you better expect that when you're trying to do the right thing, the wrong things are going to try to come against you. As soon as Joseph gets this vision of what his life is going to be, there's haters at the door. Right there. Day one. And, you know, you read this text and it's like, hey, Joseph, like, that's a great vision. You've got to learn how to package it right. Because, like, you're communicating, but your communication of what it is is being lost in how you said it. So Joseph's going to need a little bit of humility. Because how many of us need to know to lead means to be humble? Because real leaders aren't served. They serve. And so what happens in the stories, Joseph is going to be humbled a little bit. But one of the reasons why Joseph is able to endure his moments of despair, his moments that so many of us would be so hopeless in, is because he saw God's call on his life in high definition. And he was able to recall the promise of God. And what he did is he did not put his faith in the circumstance, but in the one who had called him. And so what happens for so many of us is, one, be careful who you're going to tell good news to, but all of a sudden the resistance come, and now you start to lose vision. It's like you left the path, and you let other people tell you how to get there. Or that it wasn't a real path, or it wasn't the real thing. And so you've begun to lose hope. What was God's vision for your family? What is God's vision for your finances? What is God's vision for your faith? What is God's vision for how you live in this church? What is God's vision for you and your relationships? Have you lost hope because you've lost sight? Some of us need to go back and remember the call, but just remember this as well. We get to see the what's going to happen, but we don't always get to see the how. We don't always get the clear path of here's how it's going to happen. Don't you wish that? But man, you wouldn't need faith if you knew the how. And it's impossible to please God without faith. 
And so God is gracious to us by giving us the gift in the moments where you and I can have faith because it produces in us a great endurance. Because some of you now, if you got to the vision that God had for you in your life today, it would crush you. Because you don't have the character, you don't have the experience, you don't have the resources to carry it. Because every gift is a curse in the wrong season. Like Jude, he loves my truck. If I gave Jude the keys to my truck today, it would be a curse. (laughs) Right? Because he crashed that sucker in three seconds. He literally almost ran somebody over with a power wheel the other day. They were like laying down and he's just like, right, like I don't care. But here's the deal, like you have to understand that. And some of you are losing hope because you don't have patience. So you're, you're in this moment where you can't see. But here's what hope does. Hope trusts that hardship prepares for the future. Do you trust right now in your life that the hard things that you're going through are preparing you for a better future? Are preparing you to deal with the hard parts of the future? See, our life has been all about pulling us into comfort and getting us out of hard situations. Do you know that science is now telling us that we could actually probably live longer if we put our bodies in stressful situations? You're like, no, that's not true. Yeah, it 100% is. Did you know that if you go into a sauna for 20 minutes at a time, three times a week, you lower your risk of cardiovascular disease by 40%? Because your body goes into a stress-fighting moment and it begins to clear your body of these old dying cells. Same thing happens with cold exposure. You know fasting, this biblical idea of fasting. Did you know that when you fast, your body will begin to then produce because it needs to. New cells begin to repair cells because it doesn't have glucose. So it needs to start doing this and it will get old cells out of your body. Stress. Hard times actually produce a beautiful fruit in our life. In fact, this is an interesting thing about wine. Vine branches that that grow wine produce better wine in drought. Why? Because it needs the fruit of the vine to be eaten so that the seeds of the vine can be taken to a place with water. So what does it do? In the stressful moments of life, in the stressful parts of life, in the stress environments of life, the vine goes, we got to go to a new place. So I'm going to produce the best fruit. So we can be carried on to a further place. You and I maybe need to remember that the best fruit in your life is produced in the hardest moments of life. And that should give you hope. That should give you hope in this moment. That hardship prepares you for the future. Genesis 39 verse 4. Joseph has now been sold into slavery. And look at what it says. Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. This is Potiphar. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. In the middle of hardship of being sold into slavery, God is producing in something in Joseph to prepare him for the future because Joseph is going to run an entire nation. And in order to run an entire nation, you better know how to run a house. Genesis chapter 39, 21 to 23, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those, uh, those that held, were held in the prison, and he made, was made responsible for all that was done there. 
The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You're not going to be able to lead a nation of people who are tough to deal with until you can lead a prison. Genesis 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all things known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne, I will be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. It was in the hardship of Joseph's life that he was prepared to lead. And he wasn't just prepared to lead in this moment to lead a nation. He was going to save his family. Some of us need to believe and hold on and trust in the fact that the hardship that you're in right now is part of the path. You're not off the trail. And that the fact is, is God is producing a greater fruit in your life right now. Because you're learning to lean on him. You're learning to trust in him. You're learning to pursue him. Every place that Joseph found himself was preparation for what was to come. Can you look back on your life and some of the hard things of your life and go, man, that was actually preparation for some of the hard things that I am supposed to do. And you go, man, that's hard, Pastor Blake. Like, I, I don't know about this because I believe that you're called to reach the people that are very near and like you. And maybe the reason you went through what you went through or are going through what you're going through is to help somebody in the future. And let me just tell you something, church. Pain will always be pain until it finds purpose. Your hardship will always be hard until it finds a place where it can produce the fruit that was built in the desert. Until people can drink of the wine of your life because of the hardships that you've been through. And so what happens here is everything that God did, he was giving him experience that Joseph needed for the vision to come true. You notice every place he went, he becomes a leader. Why? Because, hey, remember the vision that you had where the grain was bowing down to you, where the sun, the moon, and the stars were bowing down to you? I'm preparing you. And so he held on to the vision, so he held on to hope, and he saw the hardship for what it was. Preparation. But not only does hope trust, hope remembers the provision of the past. How many of us need to start to remember that God has gotten you here? That all the things that you thought in your life that were going to kill you and destroy you and be the end of you, they didn't. You're here. You made it to this room today. Why? Because of the provision of the Lord in the house of the Lord, through the people of the Lord, you made it here today. You're not dead. You're not done. Because God has provided for you every step of the way. Hope remembers the provision of the past. Genesis 41, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. Can you imagine what a beautiful moment it is to have a son when you were rotting in a prison a few years ago? Can you imagine what a pleasure it is to have a son when you were sold into slavery and nearly killed by your brothers? I don't think that was ever his dream. And so Joseph looks at it and goes, man, this is the goodness of God in my life. I can have a son. And when I look at my son, I'm reminded of the goodness that is before me, not the hardship of the past. And it's not like he forgot that the past was there, but the hurt of the past was going away. Because he saw God's greater purpose. 
The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And so the two names of his sons were the names to remind him of the goodness of God in his life. Every time he said Manasseh, every time he said Ephraim, he was reminded of God's provision for his life. That somehow my past is no longer holding me. I'm okay. And that God produced wonderful fruit in my life in the midst of the land of the suffering. Some of us need a Manasseh and an Ephraim in our life. Some of us need these things that we can look at and say and call out and go, man, God did it. Look at what God did then. Why am I not believing now? I didn't die. My kid didn't die. Our marriage didn't end in divorce. We made it out of that financial debt. We did it. Man, why do I not believe God for the vision of the future? Why am I believing that the problems are bigger than God? You need a Manasseh and you need an Ephraim in your life. You need to remember the provision of the fast to help you believe for the future again. The same God who rescued you then is rescuing you now. But not only does hope trust and hope remembers, but hope sees purpose. See, we see that in, in the past, there's, it's about preparedness. We see that the hardship is actually growing the muscles and doing all these things to get us to where we're prepared for the vision. But being prepared isn't the end of it. It's the purpose of why you're there. Right? Like the end of the story is not like, man, I'm really strong so I can lift and and have a build a muscle competition here. It's so that you win. So the preparedness gets you there, but it's not just about being prepared. It's about fulfilling the purpose and hope sees purpose and suffering. Genesis 45 verses 48. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. A person came up to me last night. I thought this was a really beautiful thing. She said, actually, thank you so much for this message. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I was like, oh, that's great. And she said, you know, right there in Genesis where it talks about how Joseph asked his brothers to come near to him. Here's what he's doing. The greatest pain in his life, he has to come close. Joseph was so free because he had vision and hope because he saw who God really was. That he was able to invite his pain close. Come close to me. I want to tell you something about my pain. I'm going to talk to you about my pain. Because I'm not going to allow this to control me anymore. How many of us need the kind of vision and hope that we can believe and call our pain close to us and go, hey, thank you. You produced something so much better in me that can never happen otherwise. I found purpose in you. I've now found pleasure in you because I am who I am today because of the suffering I went through with you. So thank you. Thank you. And so what happens is he says, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Look at what he's helping them do. He's helping his, he's a victim, but he's a victim who's found victory. And so he wants to help the perpetrator find freedom. That's real freedom. When you can help the perpetrator find freedom and forgiveness, that's real healing. That is real regeneration. That is real God. When we can look at the worst moments of our life and say, hey, you don't need to be distressed. You don't need to be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Why? Because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. 
Because I had a greater purpose. And God used your evil to produce a greater fruit in me to get ahead of you so that I could help you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it is not you who sent me here, but God. Woo! Because some of us look at our pain, can some of us look at the, the vision that we're losing and look towards the future again, and we can look back at the hurts that helped produce us and get us to where we needed to be and go, you didn't send me here, God did. You're not my king, you're not my Lord, you're not my master, you're not my memory. He is. And I see who you are in the hands of him. Man, could that be some freedom for somebody tonight that you find purpose in your suffering? Some of you just need to underline chapter 45, verse 8 of Genesis. So then, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of this entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. You guys can let go. I'm not excusing what you did, but we're going to let go of the hurt and the pain. Why? Because God had a greater purpose. I told you this life is never about that you're not going to go through hardship. It's what God can produce in the hardship. Do you see purpose in your suffering? If you see purpose in your suffering, your vision can be restored because now you can look past your hurt towards where you're headed. And now you got hope again. Now you got freedom again. Now you're heading towards God's greater for you again. So hope trusts, hope remembers, hope sees, and hope helps. Hope helps us forgive the past and prosper in the future. Some of us in this room right now, you have lost vision, you have lost hope, because the only thing you can see is the past, and you're not looking forward any longer. All you're thinking about is those moments where you left the trail, not how to get back to it. A lot of us in this room and in this life Walk through our lives, dragging our past behind us, and our eyes are always before it. It's really hard to see the future when you're looking at your hurt. When what does the Lord say? The Lord says, the past is the past. I have redeemed it. Let it go. It's not for you to carry. It's time for you to turn around and to pursue me. You, there's no life here. There's no life in the past. And some of you are like, well, what about... What about, like, the good things? You know Uncle Rico? Remember Uncle Rico from, what's the name of that movie? Napoleon Dynamite? There's that moment where Uncle Rico's sitting on the bench, and there's mountains, like, miles off, and he's like, man, back in high school, I could have thrown this football over them mountains. And you're like, you're stuck here, bro. And guess what? When you remember who you could have been, and you're always remembering what it could have been like, that's pain too, people. The past is there. It was for preparation. It was for purpose to move you here. And so instead of the past now being a weight, it can be a wind. And it can push you forward because it's always been blowing at your back, getting you ready for where you need to go. And when you got a wind at your back, you can be thankful. You can find gratitude. You can find hope in these moments. Genesis 
chapter 50, verses 19 to 21. But Joseph said to them, here's what happens. Jacob dies. Joseph's dad passes away. They're living in Egypt, and his dad passes away. And so the brothers are like, oh, no. Dad's gone. Since dad's gone, Joseph is going to kill us, all of us. The only reason that we were still alive is because dad was still here and daddy gone. And so what do they do? They run to Joseph. And what do they do? They bow down and they worship Joseph and they say, hey, we'll be your slaves. See, they're remembering the vision that Joseph told them about. It's just the wrong interpretation. Joseph's like, no, man, you're not here to serve me. I'm here to save you. And the reason that you're bowing down is out of gratitude, not out of servitude. And some of us need to remember it's the same with God. Some of us think we're all going to run to God and we're going to bow down in servitude. No, we bow down in gratitude and we worship our king and we get up from our knees and go out into the world because of the gratitude we have, we now serve. God doesn't need you to work for him. He can do it. But some of us work for him because of all that he's done for us. And so it changes the way that you do it. It's actually not a I owe you. It's a I love you. And some of us in our life need to get from a I owe you God to a I love you God. And all of a sudden, it's a joy to serve. It's a joy to make the coffee. It's a joy to preach a sermon. It's a joy to play an instrument. It's a joy to be a greeter. It's a joy to be in kids rock. Why? Because I love you, man. And what you did for me, I hope I could show that same love and care and concern. And that can, because of what you've done for me, that can be expressed to these kids and they can see what it means to see someone who's been changed by God. And they can see genuine, real faith. And I can find great joy in all of it. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? This is probably the most famous verse that so many of us know. Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Here's another way that we say it. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph sees God's restoration. Joseph sees how good God is. And Joseph sees the purpose in what he went through. And because he has purpose and he has hope and he has vision, he can forgive. Like for real forgive. Like not only is it like, hey man, don't worry about it. It is, hey, you've got land, you've got promise, you've got future, you've got all of these things. I want you to do well. How many of us want those who hurt us most to do well? How many of us want ourselves to do well? For some of you, the greatest person that's ever hurt you is you. And so you punish you all the time. You need to forgive you. You need to let go of you. Because you're just living here in this bondage because you've lost vision, you've lost hope, and now you're dying inside. Some of us in our life, spiritually, relationally, financially, are sleeping in the tent waiting to die. And Joseph never lost sight of what God intended for him so he remained hopeful. And I'm sure that there's days that Joseph, after he saw his brothers, had to say, God, please help me to continue to forgive. 
God, please help me to continue to love them. God, please help me to forgive. Help help me to let go. Help these memories not be ones of hurt, but of help. God, help me. God, God, don't let this vision leave my sight. God, please. See, when you see purpose in your suffering, you see all of these things, you're able to really begin to forgive. Look at what it says. So then don't be afraid, verse 21. I will provide for you and your children. And be, and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not only like, hey, you don't need to worry about that anymore, but I'm going to make sure you prosper, and I'm going to make sure your kids prosper. That's how much I love you. That's how much God's changed me. That's real life change. Your 11 brothers who sold you into slavery, who began this terrible downward spiral in your life, was purposed by God to get you ready to lead. So not only are you prepared, but now you find purpose in your suffering. And because of that, hope is able to help us forgive. Because we see what is ahead of us. But here's the deal. For so many of us, hope is a destination or an outcome. And for Christians, that's not it. Because hope is never in the situation, but only in the one who has situated everything. You and I can find vision and hope in everything because it's not about a destination. It's about somebody. And that somebody never changes. That somebody is always before us. That somebody is always there. And so you and I can live through hell and have hope. Why? Because he's right there. He's always on the horizon. He's always right here. He's never changing, never will. And I'm not heading to something, I'm heading to someone. Look at what happens here in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Then Joseph, right before he dies, said to his brothers, I am about to die. But remember, your hope isn't in me. Your hope isn't in this land. Your hope is in him. He says this, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the promise isn't like you're going to live in these zip codes. The promise is, is the land is where God resided with his people. So the land isn't about the land. It's about the presence of the Lord. It's always been about somebody, not something. And so for you and I in this moment in your life, where are you sitting have you lost your vision and so your, your hope has been stolen? How do you hold on to all of these things? You and I can walk back into our life and we can trust and we can remember. We, we can do those things. We can have help. We can, we can find the way. We can look back. We can find purpose. We can all of, like, look at all of these things and begin to look and go, oh, yeah, that's the vision. Because you know what? The path is only a few steps away. You just got to start heading back to it. You can't give up and sleep in your tent. You got to get up. You got to move forward. You got to remember. Because, look, if you just lay there, you're going to stay that far away from rescue. But if you step forward, you may walk closer to your rescue. 
And if you're walking towards him, he's right there. And I guarantee you, your rescue is there. So get up. Believe again. Hope again. Find that vision again. And start pursuing it with all that you have. See, as a believer, our hope is not heaven. Our hope is him. Our hope is him. And wherever he is, heaven will be. And that's why you can have hope. Because if you get to him in your belief and in your faith and in your walk in life, why can't you partake in part of heaven now? Because you're with him. And that's why. That's why we can have a peace which surpasses understanding. Because we have a Lord who's beyond comprehension. And a goodness that is always before us. And I want to end with just this one verse because I think the psalmist says it perfectly. When talking about hope, Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? What am I waiting for? Why? There's nothing I'm waiting for. Why? My hope is in you. I'm not waiting for anything. You're here. It's in you. I'm with you. Hope is here. I'm not waiting for anything. I'm not sleeping in the tent. I'm pursuing you. Because the path has always been to you. And Lord, when I get into the valleys, when I get into the hard times, when I get into all of these things, may I not lose vision of who you are, what you've called me to be, and who you've called me to be. And may I hope again. And believe again. And it's the same thing that the psalmist says in Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He knows and believes that God is going to lead him by streams of still water and fields of green grass in the middle of hell. He had hope. Why? Because it was in the one who was leading him, the one who was walking him, the one who was protecting him. And so you and I can have that same thing. And so today, as we get ready to end, we're not going to do a song or anything like that. We're just going to pray. We're going to believe and trust. And in this moment, we're going to pursue him. But church, where has your hope been lost? And are you holding on? Are you holding on? And so I want to pray. And then we're going to leave this place. If you want to help that family, please drop something in the back. And then... Friday night of this week, we're going to get together again. And we are going to remember and celebrate the moment that hope entered the world. And we're going to believe and trust that he came to blaze a path for you and I so that we could never perish, never be overwhelmed, never be overcome, and always move forward. We can hold on because he arrived. And so I hope that you'll come here and celebrate that in the darkest time in the world, light entered the situation. And the same thing can happen for you right now. And so with every head bowed and eyes closed, just out of reverence and respect to the Lord, and this is a way for you to just spend some time with just him. Where are you hopeless? Where have you lost vision? Or maybe where have you never had vision? And so today, my hope and my prayer and my belief is this, that God will give you the vision. God will give you the hope. You just need to look towards him. 
And there are some people in this room now that have never known the hope of the world. It's not money. It's not position. It's not retirement. It's not Florida. It's not the beach. It's you. And so, Lord, I pray that you make our hearts thirsty for you and thirsty for heaven. And so today, God, I pray and ask and seek after you. And if there's anybody in this room who has never met you, I pray for the very first time in their life that they would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you arrived. And you didn't just arrive to live a life of pleasure, but you came here with a purpose and a vision to rescue humanity. And just as you sent Joseph ahead of his brothers, so too you sent Jesus ahead of us. And he blazed the path and he prepared a place for us and he did what we could not do. And he paid our penalty and our sin so that we could be saved. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we will be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that every person in here that has not done that will right now and that the words will be their own. And they will believe that Jesus lived for them and that he died for them and that he rose again to show victory over their sin and their death. And he became their hope and their vision and their future and their promise. And Lord, today I pray that they would call out to you. But Lord, I pray for us today who have in this room done that a long time ago. I pray today that we would come back to the path. I pray today that you gave us some purpose for that pain in our past. I pray today that we start walking in hope again. No matter how hard this season is, hope is always ahead of us. God, help us not lose our vision. And may we walk out of this place and in this season, victors in you. And may we find peace in you. And so, Lord, I pray an anointing and a blessing over every person here today that they will walk in the freedom and the joy of the Lord and they will walk in the hope that you found and that you gave to us and that we will be a free people. And because we are free, we will declare it from the mountaintops that you are good, you are great, you are God and you are Savior. And so Lord, let us leave this place renewed, hopeful. God, we love you. We thank you in Christ's holy and precious name. And everybody said...